right, hello and welcome back to In Football Terms for our World Cup special. We've just finished the group stages. We've got the final teams for the knockout stage. I'm joined by Erling Haaland, who's just come back from his Spain tour. And today we're just really going to be discussing our predictions for the World Cup and look at kind of what's happened so far and give some overall takes uh, on the event. And just not to confuse the listeners, this one is literally, we're talking about the World Cup in Qatar Real terms, we're not we're not talking about any transfer related relationships here. We're just we're just going to speak as it is, and this one's going to be a good one because this World Cup has had some twists in the tail and has seen some some big names leave early, some small names stay in for longer than we expected, and so there's actually quite a lot to talk about. Do you want to just start with the host nation Qatar and not so much the football side of things because there really wasn't much going on there. But in terms of their country, you have been in their country two on two occasions in the last in the last two weeks. What do you think of of Qatar a being awarded the World Cup in the first place, and b how they've gone about hosting it? Because we saw a lot of stuff come come out about you know migrant worker deaths and it being too hot to host it, and you know them having a, an essentially non-existent footballing program as well. So, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, I actually, I think if Qatar previously had somewhat of a, um, you know, a footballing philosophy in their country, it would have worked. But I think the fact that they pretty much picked Qatar with uh, with having no stadiums, having no nothing, it was a bit of a silly decision. Although they had the funds to build this $220 billion project, I think it would have just been better off if you gave it to a European country that already have the facilities needed and have the culture because the other thing is Qatar's a bit out of the way and we saw them paying fans to to try and get the culture up get the spirits high and I think that just defeats the whole purpose of what the World Cup's meant to be um and then talking weather obviously there was a big uh big query about whether it would be too hot too humid and it was it's it is a very humid country and I know they put aircon into their stadiums, but realistically, how much is aircon in an open environment where there's thousands and thousands of people right next to each other? How much is that actually going to affect anything? And I think, unpopular opinion, but the weather actually did um, help some of the countries that were used to that warmer environment, especially in the early stages. Maybe just they were more used to it, and maybe that did play a part. Um, but... The other thing with this this World Cup being held in Qatar is their major airline sponsor is Qatar Airways, and that's why I caught my flights with. And every single thing you see when you're in Qatar is FIFA World Cup, FIFA World Cup, FIFA World Cup. And they spent that much money building it. They're going to spend so much as well taking it all down. Well, there. I think that's the thing as well about everything. They've kind of branded their country now as just around the World Cup because they didn't really... they. They didn't have a country that was exposed to the world before the World Cup. I mean, when they did bribe their way to winning the uh, the rights for the World Cup, um, there was really, you know, no many, not many people knew of Qatar, and it's been a kind of a nation-building process while also building for the World Cup. So I think once you get there, as a fan, there's the World Cup, but you know, say it was in Spain, you go to Spain and you actually can experience what Spain has to offer. And then, you know, the football kind of comes along yeah, with it. Exactly. But in Qatar, 
it's football and only football. You stay in a fan village. You go to, you know, fan restaurants. It's all very uh, World Cup focused. And when you do go to look at, the, you know, the Qatari culture, there's not too much going on there because it's just so built around the World Cup. Yeah, well, because I was eating chocolate mousse on the plane and even that had a football that was engraved with FIFA World Cup 2022 in it, which is outrageous. Like, white chocolate isn't meant to have that on it. But to be fair, they've done, they, they have done a good job of that. But the, the one thing I did find really strange was even though they had all of this branding... You still couldn't watch the the World Cup for free on the plane unless you invested in this one hour free Wi-Fi, which makes no sense when a game's over an hour. So I don't really see what benefit you're getting out of that. So you had to pay if you wanted to watch it, which I think defeats the whole purpose of um, of you know making such a big deal of it. How that's translated to football on the pitch so far has been you know mixed. We've seen. Some of the results with amazing upsets have been excellent watches for the viewers. And at the same time, we're also getting record numbers of draws, record numbers of nil-all draws, in fact. Mm. So it's really been a mixed bag in terms of the quality of football that we've been seeing. Obviously, there was a lot of injury issues for all teams going into it. We'll start on the left-hand side of the draw. So we've got uh, the Netherlands and USA as our first game. We'll just go through... And just get you to give us some quick predictions, Erling. So, Netherlands versus USA. Look, you would think that all these big names are going to take it out, but we've seen USA manage to make it into the knockout stages. So, I'm not too sure, but I will say for this one, I think Netherlands will have it. I think I'd agree with you there. This may be a harder one for you to take off your Australia cap on, but Argentina versus Australia, unbelievable tournament for them so far. And we're going to have to build onto this um, later, but I think... (laughs) <laughs> for Messi's sake I'm going to say Argentina and then Japan versus Croatia Croatia but Japan put up a good fight yeah that would be an interesting game there I think Japan have actually played a really good tournament so far and then finally Brazil and South Korea I think there's only one answer here yeah Brazil um, moving to the right hand side we've got England versus Senegal a manless Senegal so probably England there oh, that would be a tight one I can see an ex- I can see extra time coming along there but England. England like an extra time in a, in a World Cup tournament. France versus Poland? Poland. Poland. Wow. So it could be a... You, you've teased a Senegal versus Poland semi-final there. Morocco versus Spain? Morocco. Wow, that's another one. And Morocco have played an excellent tournament so far. They have some actually quite under-the-radar names. Their right-back is play, plays at Bayern Munich and then Hakimi, of course. Um, and some others. And then finally, Portugal versus Switzerland. Portugal. It's a pretty good shout there, I think. So, I think it's going to be a, a quite a balanced semi-final when it comes to it, but there will be most of the big names that we saw expected, aka Brazil and Argentina, we, we will expect to be seeing them in the semi-finals. I think Germany and Belgium are probably the two big ones that have gone out so far. Any major issues that you identified with those two teams, particularly Belgium, because this was seen as a golden generation of some sort, but it really hasn't produced at all. Well, what I've been hearing is that in the camp, there's been a lot of issues from between players. You know, De Bruyne not wanting to speak to certain players, Courtois not wanting to speak to certain players. And the minute you have that kind of fracture, is just it ruins everything. Because with the World Cup, you want you want chemistry, because that's you know, 
if you're playing for Australia, you're all Australian. That's something you, you connect to. You're not being paid to be there. You're not, you know, there's no oil money country. You know, you can't see that. So you you seriously are playing for the badge and for the millions of people watching you. And I think the minute that 11 players in a team don't get along, that just ruins that just ruins any opportunity you have of putting up a good fight. And then with Germany, they just haven't been convincing. I've seen a stat that since 2014, they've since they won the World Cup in 2014, they've won one game, which is now two after yesterday, since. And they just have not been convincing. Like every game I've watched them play, it's just, there's no, there's no real threat. You know, they, they'll keep the ball, but they won't do anything with it. Yeah, and I think that that's particularly when they get into the final third. They just have a few players, and we've seen this be an issue for for these players when they're playing for Chelsea as well. These German players, when they move across to the Premier League, they seem to be quite talented, but in the final third, they just, you know, they're maybe not consistent enough. Their finishing is a bit off. Havertz and Werner, I'm thinking of in particular. And when you have a lot of uh, good creative players like Musiala, for example... You really need uh, someone who even is a bit of an old hand. For example, you got Giroud at, at France who can put the ball in the back of the net and even just provide a calm head in attack because I think when they're, when they're going through periods of time when they're not scoring, you know, they, you really see them start to, to crumble and that uh, has an effect on the whole team. Um, let's go to your, your overall winner now because I think many people at the start would have predicted Brazil I'm not sure what you would have thought before the World Cup but we've seen the whole group stage go out of the way now and we're into the knockout round who's your prediction for the winner well if we're talking about head-to-head in the final I think I'll be saying this on behalf of many many people but I would love to see an Argentina Portugal final just for that Messi Ronaldo duel that would literally blow the internet but if I'm if I'm putting that aside I'm saying a Portugal winner and the reason I'm saying that is because there hasn't been anyone... Um, this is the first time ever where no teams won all their group stage games. But I think Portugal have looked the most convincing. And, and they, they seem to be... There's not, a lot, like, there's not much media attention about their um, surprising losses or anything like that. So I think, I think Portugal. The one team you haven't mentioned there is Brazil. What do you think their chances are of getting to the final? Because to get there, they will have to beat looking at this now, probably Croatia and then Argentina. So that's two tough matchups. Obviously, Croatia will run us up last World Cup, but I think Argentina in the semi-final will be their real their real test. And do you not see them getting, getting past that? Not really, because the thing with Brazil is a bit like Germany. They've got all the flair in the world, but re- when they're putting it in the back of the net, it's just not really happening. For a team that is so attacking-focused, you look at the players that they have, you know, they have... Anthony, Neymar, all the likes like that who would just go forward, go forward, go forward, rainbow flick till you win. And they're just not doing anything with it. And just this morning, Cameroon beat them 1-0. And they weren't playing a bad squad. They were playing a fairly decent squad. And although they went through, it, it, the game against Cameroon wasn't really that convincing from them. So I think very similar to why I said Morocco will beat Spain. On a good day, I'm giving it to, I'm giving it to Spain and I'm giving it to Brazil, but... It's just, then, are they consistent enough? Yeah, no, that's true. And I think when you're talking about media attention as well, like you did before, there's so much expectation from from the Brazilians back home in Brazil that, you know, they're really expecting something from their team this World Cup. 
with the amount of talent that they have in that team. But Portugal have gone a bit under the radar leading into exactly. the tournament. Exactly. And I think that really helps. I th- and leading into England, which we'll talk about now, England and Australia, two of the teams that are really getting focus uh, where we are here. Uh, you know, England, I think maybe why they've performed better than expectations towards the start of this World Cup is usually we see the bar set so high. But because of the poor form coming into the tournament this time around, it was really brung back down low again. And we've seen them perform quite well so far. Well, I was actually having this conversation earlier this morning with um, with my mother. And we were talking about how the consistent theme we see with England on the international stage is they do the bare minimum and no more. They do what they need. They, you know, they win games. Mm. They get the three points. But especially in the group stage, they haven't done anything outrageous. Apart from the 6-2 win against Iran, there's not, not really been anything anything crazy about it but why do you need to win every game seven and why do you need to have a hat trick every game when you just need the three points realistically and that's exactly what they've gone and done and they i I think they've actually played their cards quite smart what they're going to need to do this world cup though to if they do want to go to that next level is like you said they've got to push past just doing you know the bare minimum because we've seen if you look on paper the last you know the the last two tournaments reaching the the semi-finals and then the finals on paper, they're excellent results, but to get there, they actually have pretty much achieved the bare minimum. Every team that they've beat along the way, in that moment, you would have expected them to beat. They would have been the favourites in most games, but they're going to have to pull something out of the bag here. And look, it's not the hardest side of the draw. France, if they were in in full firing form, then then possibly, but we just don't really know what we're going to get for them. So I think England will be an interesting one. Yeah, I think it's just more about when do they flick that switch. When do they flick that switch from the bare minimum to, okay, now now competition is, now if we lose this game, we're out. You know, So it, it, it's very interesting to see when they will flick that switch. And then across to the other side of the draw and Australia, we're going to see them playing 5am on Sunday morning. This is being recorded on the Saturday. 5am Sunday morning, there will be a, a, a live viewing in the city at King George Square and Queen Street, just a shout out for that, but I mean, talk about expectations, the Socceroos have blown all expectations out of the water. Yeah, literally, I think, but but the interesting thing about that, everyone's almost, everyone's almost calling it a day now, everyone's saying, you know, we've made round of 16, but... Um, we don't need to do anything more. We've we've done what we need to. But I think, realistically, we've we've shocked everyone in the group stage. But why not? Why can't we shock them again against Argentina? If we're beating the likes of Denmark, who are a very strong side, why can't we go and put a good foot forward against Argentina? And I think, but I think what's been really great about this is this success that we're seeing in this team has really changed or brought back what Australian football was once intended to be. You know, we used to see Melbourne fans, Victorian fans, just absolutely obsessed with with A-League football. And, and, that. and then the protocols, protocols changed and that really quite died down again. But now we're starting to see it rise. And there was that, there was that clip that just went out recently of the scenes in Melbourne at 3.30 in the morning when they were watching um, Australia's victory over Denmark. And just to see that passion that is, again, blooming is really quite great. And to see in Brisbane now we're hosting an outdoor event to watch the World Cup is something I honestly didn't think we would see. So it's really great to see that. And I think all this support that they're getting will really help them 
help them uh, put a foot forward. And honestly, why uh, why can't we see a one 0 win where we score and we go into a block? The one thing that Australia can completely use to their advantage in this game is similar to Brazil, as I was talking about before. There's so much expectation on Argentina. If Australia can go, you know, one nil up within the first half, and and get inside the heads of the Argentinian players, that's a massive tool that they can use. Because if you if you're going into that second half one nil up, sitting in your low block, and Argentina, you know, at the game ticks on, this is knockout football. They they are gonna they're gonna start getting you know. Really stressed, to be honest with you. I mean, they are expected to advance past the Socceroos, and if that doesn't happen, and if they're thinking in their heads, you know, this might not happen, we might not get this done in Messi's last chance, in a lot of those uh, big players' last chance at winning a World Cup, I think that's a massive tool that the Socceroos can use. I think we need to take notes from Saudi Arabia, honestly, because what Saudi Arabia did amazing, and I assume everyone's seen that motivational speech from the coach at halftime, was... They saw Messi and they said, why Why are you all here pretending that Messi's some sort of god? Why get in there, stick in. If you want to take a photo with him, go take a photo with him. But you're not playing on the football field if that's what you want to do, if you want to get his autograph. And so I think Australia have to go out there and shock the Argentinians. Before they shock the world, shock the Argentinians with a really aggressive game where they don't treat Messi as anything more than a little five foot seven footballer on the field. And, and sticking to him because I think what happens with Argentina more so than Portugal having Ronaldo is if you can get into Messi's head and Messi starts to have a poor game or, you know, looks a bit flustered, then you've almost beat the whole team because they really, really live off what Messi brings to, to the field. So I think if we take notes from the Saudi Arabian game, I think we could do something here, but the last thing that I want to happen with this game is it to be a nil-nil 70th minute because I don't know how long Australia are going to be able to hold on a nil-nil. Yeah, no, I think what a lot of the time we see, you know, oh, maybe it's not, not ideal scoring so early because you have to hold on to a lead for so long. And obviously, you know, scoring as early as we did in, in the France game does become an issue, but it's got to be somewhere, somewhere in the first half or early in the second half just to get... Uh, as much chance to get in in the Argentinian's head as possible. Yeah, get that front foot going forward. Exactly. So we'll wrap it up there. But Haaland's prediction is Portugal for the World Cup. I think it's going to be an excellent knockout stage. Thank you for listening to this episode and we'll be back for more shortly. Sweet. Thank you, mate.